0: My family could afford a computer when I was 15 and then like I didn't have a connection to the internet for a pretty long while. But still it hasn't prevented me from learning to code and kind of moving first to Poland, then moving to London to work in big tech companies. Everything is possible and your background does not determine your future.
1: Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I speak with successful devs about their advice on learning to code and getting your first junior dev job. I'm Alex, and today I'm joined by Nadia, a product engineer in London by way of Belarus and Poland. Growing up in Belarus is a big part of Nadia's story. It was tough, and there weren't many opportunities for a young woman like Nadia to learn to code, certainly not at school. So at an age where many people would think you should have it figured out, Nadia took the courageous decision to move to Poland and learn to code all by herself. Now she works at a really well-respected company called Intercom and a woman who code London lead. I can just tell Nadia is passionate about helping those on the same path as her, just a little bit behind maybe. We spoke about choosing your first programming language, how tough it is to stay consistent when learning to code, and about some of the gatekeeping or more discouraging things that Nadia and I sometimes hear as people who have been in the industry for a while and we think junior developers should just dismiss. Nadia's story is definitely going to inspire you, and yet, this is The Screamer Podcast. We always bring it back to actionable advice to help you on your journey towards learning to code and becoming a hireable dev. Let's get into it.
0: So my journey into coding wasn't that traditional. I initially started out as an English teacher, journalist, and an editor. I actually used to run my own independent news magazine back in Belarus. I did that for a couple of years, and it was great right until the moment. It wasn't that great, and we had to close down the magazine. And then I was kind of forced to make a decision of what I wanted to do with my life next. I was 25 and I needed to decide, you know, what the next step in my career would be. I didn't want to do anything related to journalism or news or politics at that point. I knew that I wanted to move from Belarus to Poland and I also knew that I didn't have any transferable skills that would allow me to build a successful life in Poland. I also didn't know the language that well, I didn't know the culture that well and crucially I didn't know anybody in Poland. I quickly saw that getting technical skills would be my surest way to start a new life in a new country. I did a lot of research and uh, gradually I came to the realization that learning to code would be the best way for me forward. It took some effort to convince myself that this was the way forward because there was a lot of like internal resistance for me to learn to code. I would say that before that, I never thought of myself as somebody who was the type of person who could learn to code whatever that means but it was difficult for me to start thinking of myself as someone who could be a programmer and you know in every story there is always a villain for me in this case there was just one villain there was my internal resistance to this change but eventually drip by drip I conquered this resistance and I started to learn to code and I did the self-learning thing I didn't go to a bootcamp or college or a course I taught myself to code it took me nine months so In nine months, I went from zero technical skills to getting a job as a software engineer in Poland. And I moved there. And that was the start of my career.
1: Honestly, that's just incredibly impressive. Not only the decision to change career at 25, which I think is a time when a lot of people feel a lot of pressure from friends and family that they must have figured it out by now. Did I understand you right? Like you didn't speak very much Polish and you didn't know anybody in Poland, but you still moved there to not only like to a new country but start a new career at the same time
0: i knew basic polish so i would say that i understood most of what people would say to me but i found it very difficult to speak polish because belarusian language and polish language are very similar so that helped but yeah i didn't have any friends there i visited poland before uh, but i wouldn't say that i had that much of an understanding of this country so it was challenging to move uh, but to be fair i would say that i had a pretty easy process of integrating into Polish society I didn't have like a huge cultural shock when I moved but still it was intense because I had to you know apply for permanent residency go to government offices without speaking Uh, my Polish wasn't that great I had to find an apartment again by calling people and talking to them in Polish so it was a challenge uh, but I felt that this was the right way forward for me and I thought that moving to another country would open new opportunities for me for a career for growth that I wouldn't have back where I was, it turned out that I was right. right And this was the right decision for me.
1: Obviously you didn't move to Poland until you were 25. So you did all your schooling in Belarus. Did you have any computer or programming type classes when you were in school? I
0: didn't have any computer science education at all. So we didn't learn Scratch or Pascal uh, like many people in Belarus did. I was kind of focusing on humanities in school. So I had a lot of classes devoted to English, German. Uh, we had English literature classes. We studied Russian, Belarusian languages and kind of literature in all of those languages. But science education was not Also, I spent a lot of time focusing on preparing for English level Olympiads, and Olympiads like state level Olympiads are very competitive. Which means that you just spend months preparing for them. It is intense. That was kind of my focus for several years, and I finished high school without having ever done any computer science at all. And then afterwards, I actually went to study to American University in Bulgaria, where I first studied. um, I first wanted to focus on business administration, then I switched to journalism. But then again, in college, I knew people who were majoring in computer science. And then I knew somebody who was doing a minor in information systems. So it was so- sort of computer science related, but still amazingly enough, it was my friend. But I never even thought of asking her what she was learning there. Like, I wasn't curious and it just seemed like something that was so foreign to me and it wasn't something that interested me at all. Funny thing is that my own brother, he has been a software engineer for you know 20 years. And And I never asked him what he was doing for a living. I think that nobody really understood what he was doing. You know, everybody just said, oh, he's good with computers. So he's doing something with them. That sounds really familiar. (laughs) So yeah, no context whatsoever. It kind of seemed like a very foreign world to me. And I think that right now, you know i live in london i work in tech and it's sort of easy to be kind of judgmental of myself and be like oh my god how could you have been so ignorant and why didn't you start like learning all of this earlier but to be fair in my life in in my background i never had any kind of context where i could have become interested in tech or involved with coding or with startups or with anything you know along those lines like my childhood in the 1990s in the former soviet union like it wasn't in know rosy and like there wasn't any environment for me to get involved with these things so i think that in reality i yeah, perhaps I could have started earlier, but you know, perhaps not. So I think that the point of me kind of sharing this is that I wanted to show to people that even if they grow up in environments that have nothing connected to tech, maybe their family couldn't afford a computer. Like my family could afford a computer when I was fifteen and it was in two thousand six. And then like I didn't have a connection to the internet for a pretty long while, but still it hasn't prevented me from learning to code and kind of moving first to Poland, then moving to London to work in big tech companies. So everything is possible and your background does not determine your future, I would say.
1: By the way, what made you make the decision to go the self-taught routes instead of going back to school, for example,
0: or doing a coding bootcamp? For going back to school, I think that I didn't want to spend four years doing that. I kind of wanted to move to Poland quicker, and I was looking for a quicker way to get a new profession. I considered going to a bootcamp, and this is something that I researched back then. I wanted to study Ruby on Rails, so I was looking for Ruby on Rails bootcamps in Europe. However, the cost of those bootcamps was just prohibitively, expensive for me. There was no way for me to afford any of them. I think there was one that was for free in Romania. And I remember, I vaguely remember writing or like applying there or something, but I don't remember why it didn't happen. All in all, back then, there were a lot fewer options of affordable or free boot camps. And in the town where I was living, there weren't any boot camps related to Ruby on Rails. So that was kind of the only choice that I had. But also, I would say that it suited me pretty well because I'm the sort of person who learns well on their own. I'm conscientious and kind of organized. So uh, this is the route that worked well for me but definitely it's not the ideal way for everybody.
1: Coming up on the Scramble podcast, can anyone be a programmer?
0: When I hear people say that, oh, I will never be able to learn to code, I'm not convinced.
1: Pardon the interruption, but I wanted to ask that if you are enjoying this episode of the podcast, please can you do us at Scrimber a big favour and share it with your friends on social media, like on Twitter, or in your community, like on Discord with your programming group chats. Really, word of mouth is the best possible way to help us reach new people and show us that this is a podcast you enjoy and want to see more of. So a big thank you in advance. If you haven't already, please could you also leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts? Again, it really helps reach new people. Hello, Jan the producer here. Next week on the podcast, Alex is speaking to Jonathan. He's a front-end and QA engineer from Canada who started coding out of passion for tech. He'll tell us his story of learning to code and becoming a junior developer.
0: I worked in a tech company for about three years where I did mostly manual QA. Towards the end of that job, during the last maybe six months, we needed an extra engineer to like reproduce Figma designs that our designer did. And so they asked me if I could figure out let's say in a week how to reproduce a figma design with the code and i had absolutely no idea what i was doing and i said yes anyway they said you need to add your code in this specific file and you need to add your css in that other specific file and they sent me a scrimba course that's next
1: week on the scrimba podcast and now we're back to the interview with nadia It's interesting you chose to pursue Ruby. Like I think Ruby had a reputation at the time as being a language that a lot of startups and really cool tech companies are using. Like I think Twitter was originally and probably still is using Ruby, if not modified a little bit. And then it's fun because you've come full circle and your book is called Crossing the Rubicon.
0: Yeah, this is the name that I still love. Initially, when I was starting to learn, I think as uh, many people, I first tried to understand like, you know, the first question is like, what language should I learn? And for me, after Googling for a while, I saw that the best language to learn would be JavaScript, and this is what I initially tried. However, I had such bad luck with the tutorials that I saw online that they just didn't work for me. I couldn't understand anything. I couldn't move forward. And then, luckily, uh, I remembered that one of my friends a couple of years prior to that recommended a language called Ruby, and then he told me about this framework, Ruby on Rails, which allowed you to very quickly bootstrap websites and be productive very quickly. I would get a excited about this and I decided to try Ruby on Rails. I found a great tutorial that I still recommend to everybody called Ruby on Rails tutorial. This was a tutorial that sort of changed my life. It sounds a little bit extreme, but it's not because this was the first moment when I started understanding something about programming. Some things started to click for me. And this is a magical moment, I think, for anybody who is non-technical and learning to code. When you start understanding some small items, some small concept in programming, and when you start thinking that maybe you're not completely hopeless and maybe you can move forward and you can learn. This is what happened for me with uh, Ruby on Rails. And I kind of gradually, I fell in love with the framework and with the language and I started enjoying uh, using it and working in it and then as time went on I learned more and more about the language and kind of the ecosystem and I came to enjoy a lot of features of the language and the community around it and despite people telling me that Ruby and Ruby and Rails uh, is dead and people still ask me you know why do you use this language I've been able to start building a career at least using this language and haven't had any trouble finding new jobs in it and yeah I've just built feeling pretty blessed to be able to use this beautiful language in my day-to-day work. But with this recent job, I've kind of transitioned into being a full-stack engineer, so I also write front-end code as well. So yeah, that's been my journey with the languages.
1: Do you remember, like, what year, roughly, you were taking that course and learning Ruby?
0: It was 2017.
1: So but didn't quite exist then, so you might have turned out to be a JavaScript developer in another world.
0: Yeah, this is kind of what's interesting about this, is how much influence some things can have on you. For instance, like, if you find a tutorial that really clicks with you this might determine the direction of your professional future in a way and on the contrary i've heard of people who choose a language that doesn't click for them and very often it is java for some reason and they start with a tutorial or a book or something or a course that just doesn't make sense for them and they become so disappointed and they lose hope and i've heard like people saying that you know programming is not for me i just don't get this at all and they give up and they never pursue this career and i think that this is what It is so sad that some people give up, but I kind of help a lot of people who are learning to code. And I always try to tell them that you just need to keep looking for a tutorial or a course or a teacher who will help you understand the stuff. Because this... By this, I mean web development. It is difficult, but it's not rocket science. You should be able to understand that if you don't get something, it's just because you haven't had it explained to you in a way that clicks for you. And you just need to keep looking and kind of keep pushing.
1: It is fascinating how developers pick their first language. Like whenever I meet somebody and their first language is Python, I always find it such a coincidence almost that they stumbled upon Python or whichever language. And when you learn there are some reasons, like maybe their friend got them into it or it was just the first thing they found or maybe they learned it at school and meanwhile you have people who know they want to become web developers but haven't yet really learned enough to know that it's all about coding languages essentially and they start wondering like oh what's the best coding language to learn like at the end of the day the language that is going to help you build a project you actually want to build is going to be the language you're more likely to learn and likewise if you can find a course that resonates with you or a teacher or a community you know these are the most strong signals about which language to pursue and to learn.
0: If you are completely non-technical, if you have never interacted with any of this stuff, you need to find a language that has a low barrier to entry, which is easier to understand without having any sort of background. And this is why I still think that Ruby is a great language to try. And also Python is a similarly popular language for beginners. And this is, you know, why Python is typically taught to kids who are learning to code. So a language that looks like natural English that you can just sort of read and understand what's happening. I think it's very helpful because I think that one thing that we don't really talk about enough is that the mental state of somebody who is learning to code is very important. It is also very fragile, I would say. And you really need to be careful about what we recommend to people who are learning to code. We need to be mindful of how scared and how clueless they might be and how much pressure they might be under. But Alex, you mentioned before that, for instance, by the age of 25, usually there is the expectation that you are kind of have everything figured out. So imagine if somebody's learning to code at 30 they have this pressure they have those responsibilities but they still want to learn and they want to try and we need to be careful like what advice we give them what kind of books we recommend to them we need to make sure that we are empowering them and not scaring them so much so this is why i'm kind of advocating for people to try the simplest thing they can get their head around once they have this confidence they can build up from there and they can learn further but it's so important to help people see that they can actually master this stuff first and then empower them to move forward
1: these days there are so many courses videos books resources whatever there's no shortage of information and there's actually a really good quote which is like if more information was the answer then we'd all be billionaires with perfect apps like it's not as simple as just having access to the information you need experience and experience only comes from trying and failing trying and failing trying and failing a lot. And so I often think that the arts of learning to code and being a good programmer is just showing up every day and being consistent, which is like, you know, really superficial advice and people will tell you, oh yeah, you just have to do it every day, but you just have to peel it one layer back to realize all the reasons why that is so difficult. And that's one reason why I'm such a big advocate of like, you know, setting study goals, going kind of easy on yourself because you can push yourself to do anything. But by definition, if you're pushing yourself, you can't do it every day. Like you can't, overexert yourself every day or you'll burn out i mean you're a self-taught developer what was the experience like for you
0: it's very important to be consistent it's very important to manage your mental state the most difficult thing about all of this wasn't like the coding itself although it was difficult but i think that managing my own mental state was the most difficult thing so for me the hardest thing about all of this has been to understand that um It was okay that I was so bad at coding at that point. So the advice that I usually give to people who are learning to code is: you are allowed to be the worst, especially if you're coming from a previous career where you were good. Maybe you were exceptionally good. Maybe you were the best in your career, and now you're changing jobs. You are older, and maybe you come to work at a company where you realize that you are the worst. And this was what was happening to me in my first job. I saw that I was the star of English olympiads in my country. I was like a celebrity student I was so good but then I switched careers I came to a field where I wasn't good I was like the worst programmer in that company this is the way I felt and I saw that I was struggling so much it was so difficult to just realize that it was okay and that i had the choice i could either let go of this perfectionism and kind of being so hard on myself and allow myself to learn or the other option would be just to quit and kind of go back to doing whatever i was doing before like for instance to writing or editing to go to the stuff that felt easy and to the stuff where i was already good and i made the decision to keep going and kind of let go of myself I can't say that I ever kind of completely let go of my nature of trying to be perfect and, you know, doing things correctly. But I think it helped me so much to just realize that I am learning. Like, this is the beginning for me. If you look at children, they are learning to speak. They're just learning. They're not analyzing themselves. They're not being hard on themselves, right? If you are learning to code, you need to take this attitude of being a beginner, of being a learner, of making mistakes. It doesn't matter how old you are. You are just coming into this field, right? And you shouldn't compare yourself to people who have been in this industry for 10 years or 15 years. For me, it was weird that I was the most junior person, but also I was the oldest person in the team. And also all of the people were, you know, they were much younger than me, but also they had spent like a decade coding. A lot of people who studied computer science and college they also program in high school and like middle school and earlier that was strange and it wasn't comfortable for me but i still had to work through that and i had to become fine with it and this is what i try to share with people who are learning to code. This is, I think, the most difficult thing, kind of managing your mental state, uh, allowing yourself to be the worst, allowing yourself to make mistakes, being consistent, and also being very grateful to people that you meet, to people who teach you. Because if you get your first job, when you get your first job, there will be people there who will be working with you. They will be reviewing your code, your you know terrible code. They will be helping you learn and improve. And you can have this attitude of being defensive and of being like, how dare they say this stuff about my code and kind of taking all of it personally. But also you can take another approach and you can treat everyone you meet in this journey as a teacher. And you can just be grateful to everybody you meet and kind of treat every interaction in the industry as a way to learn and improve and I'm telling you that this kind of mindset it will change everything for you in this industry it will make things so much easier and this along with kind of making those small steps consistently like you don't have to overexert yourself and do so so much every day but you do have to be consistent and do something small regularly to improve and then after a while you will just be amazed at how much you have achieved those small steps they don't feel like anything if you are doing them every day you just feel that you're not doing anything but then a year after you will be amazed at how much you have progressed
1: that perspective about time is so important but so elusive for new developers i would make the comparison between imagine being 17 about to turn 18 or 20 about to turn 21 in america and places that year of anticipation where you like officially become an adult and everything's unrestricted that feels like a, a long time to wait but once you're past 21 say and you're like in your mid or late 20s time slows down a lot because it just doesn't feel as urgent anymore and I think with coding it's like a very similar thing where like if you're brand new to coding everybody seems ahead you always feel like you're catching up you can't go quick enough because you have this goal but once you're like Nadia and myself and you've been doing this for a few years you just realize like how how the pace is not actually that fast and for actually you know one year even two years, even three years is nothing compared to the decades you hope to work in the industry. And in 10 years time, when you're a senior developer or whatever, you won't even remember the beginning. Other people certainly won't and and certainly won't judge you about it.
0: Yeah, I agree with the point how the perception of time changes as you age. And I think that that's kind of the benefit of growing older is that you don't have this urgency. I think it's hard to give this kind of advice because if you're young and you hear this advice, it doesn't really register for some reason i don't know it didn't register for me but it is true
1: And I really liked that comparison you made that when you're like a baby or a kid or something, you're learning, but you're not judging it. Once you're an adult, basically, and you have some experience under your belt, you you judge everything. And a lot of that is kind of informed about what you think other people are going to think. If you just keep bashing your head against the wall, basically, and, you know, overthinking it, you can get demotivated uh, very quickly. You sort of need to, I think it's like atomic habits, this idea of like just getting 1% better every day. Like it doesn't feel like a lot in the moment but it adds up in a meaningful way to the point where you can not only code what you can imagine independently without tutorials, but offer a service to employers and and actually get the job.
0: I think that also it helps to think about this in terms of creativity and how we are embarrassed to think of the stuff that we did when we were children, of the pictures that we drew and the stuff that we made for our mothers, you know, it's like Mother Day gifts. But still, when we were making this stuff, we didn't feel self-conscious. We just enjoyed building and we weren't taught yet to be self-conscious or kind of compare ourselves to others. And then as we grow up, we start doing that. And this is why creating stuff becomes so much harder as you grow older but i think that being a developer allows you to go back to this creativity a little bit although I think a lot of people are put off the idea of becoming developers because they don't think of this field as creative they you know have this stereotype of you know creativity being related to kind of arts and like drawing and like playing music but if you think of it as a pure sense of the word creativity as in bringing something into life then coding is actually a very creative outlet and i think that if you treat it this way and you think of it as just a way to build something that will be used by people. Software allows us to build something that will be used by millions of people. And there is kind of no limit to how many people will benefit from your creation. I think this helps so much if you just treat it as a way to express your creativity and kind of go back to this mindset of being a child who is uh, creating something from nothing and just enjoying it in the process.
1: A lot of people falsely assume, I think, that programming is like mechanical, I guess. When actually in the purest sense as you say it's very creative i think that's a big misconception people have coming into tech there's actually a few more of that i'd love to get your take on another one i hear all the time is that you know i want to be a coder but coding is only for math wizards and people who like did sciences at school or got good maths grades where does that stereotype come from do you think and how true does it hold in the real world
0: I've heard of the stereotype. I think that I had this idea of what being a programmer was. And I think everybody has a different idea. But my kind of understanding was that, you know, there are people who can code and who, you know, do math. And then there is me. There are people who are good at math. And then there are people who are good at languages. And I was in kind of the second camp. I think that the story of a normal programmer uh, can be something like the person who starts coding very young, like at six years old. This is a person who's great at math, physics, computer science, who goes to Olympics. Uh, in STEM and then studies computer science in the university and all of this is so easy for them they never struggle and then their whole life revolves around coding or like building robots or writing their own programming language in the free time which is you know totally chill and you know (laughs) easy so this kind of image it sounds very intimidating and I think that this is what scares people so much like who can fit this image when I was starting to code I wasn't anywhere near it so I thought that this field wasn't for me I found that a lot of people are actually scared of math and math can be a little bit scary and difficult. And there is a stereotype that you have to be very gifted at math to be a programmer. I think that this stereotype comes from uh, the fact that the first programmers were mathematicians. And also, if you go to study computer science at college, you will have a lot of required math classes. Yes, there are certain programming specializations that require some knowledge of math. So things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, cryptography, game programming, You will need math. However, if you're going into web development, knowing math is not a prerequisite. I have never had to use any math beyond basic arithmetics. And I cannot say that my experience is like this crazy outlier. What people, I think, don't understand who are outside of this world is that being a programmer and learning to code is not about math or numbers. It is about learning how to solve complex problems in efficient ways. And that's about it. So if you want to be a programmer, you need to have logical Thinking, or you need to develop logical thinking to be successful. So, you will have to analyze a complex situation with a lot of inputs, a lot of requirements, and you will need to come up with alternative solutions kind of choose the most efficient one and then implement it and kind of own the result of it. So I think that it's very important to be good at problem solving, but you don't have to be good at math. If you want to go into things like machine learning, then yes, you will need to learn math. But again, if you didn't understand math in school, it doesn't mean that you won't be able to learn it now. You will, but it's just that you will need to spend more time learning it and kind of preparing for this additionally to learning to code.
1: Can anyone learn the code, in your opinion?
0: I think that if you are able to think critically and kind of think in a logical way or develop logical thinking, again, I think that this is a skill that can be developed in general, like problem solving skills. You know, for some people, those skills are better developed and for others, they are Less developed, but still with enough practice, you should be able to become better. The more you do of it, the better you will become. It's just that everyone is different and everyone is coming from a different place. So when I hear people say that, oh, I will never be able to learn to code, I'm not convinced that they are right. Might be that they just haven't tried or they haven't spent enough time learning. I think that with enough practice and enough time, you should be able to grasp this stuff because. As I said, it's difficult. It's difficult to become a software engineer, but it's still, it's not rocket science. A lot of people are able to learn to code within a year to become employed as a coder. But actually, if you want to learn to build like simple websites, you can learn to do this in just a few weeks or maybe months. And I think that this is something that people don't fully realize. You know, one of the greatest things about this profession is that you can see the results of your learning relatively quickly and this is what people I think don't fully understand and they don't try but if they try and they can see the results of what they're learning uh, in just a few weeks I think this will give them more confidence to keep going
1: There are just different types of coding and different levels of coding. And even when you say you can code at a hireable level, all jobs are kind of made a bit different. There are many companies that will hire you on like a lower end of a salary band and train you up. And that's an opportunity to kind of get paid while you learn, essentially. There are also different calibers of programmers, I think. There are people who live and breathe it, people who have like vast ambitions to change the fundamentals of computing or have a bit of their code run on everybody's phone. And I love this. Like I'm quite an ambitious developer myself. But there's one thing you wrote in the book, Nadia, that I just can't skim over. Why this job as software developers, people treat so uniquely. You wrote, nobody expects an accountant to be obsessed with accounting and spend all their weekends working on spreadsheets for fun and things like that. Like there's nothing wrong with being like a journeyman developer.
0: We talk a lot about gatekeeping in this industry, I think. But honestly, in my experience, I've had a Pretty great experience working in Poland and the UK and I've never faced with any external gatekeeping. But I think that people do so much gatekeeping for themselves and they think that if I don't want to dedicate my whole like earthly existence to programming, then I'm not the right programmer. However, this field is so vast, it's constantly growing, and it needs all kinds of developers. And there are different companies and different expectations. There will be some companies that won't hire you if you don't build uh, side projects and if you don't contribute to open source. And that's fine. But also there will be so many companies that won't expect you to uh, code all the time, and they will actually encourage you to pursue other interests outside of coding and maintain work-life balance and develop in other areas of your life. So I think that we should take it down a notch and maybe not treat this job as something completely different from all other careers. Other jobs, you're expected to just do a day of honest work, uh, get paid and go home and do other stuff that you love and enjoy and spend time with your family and maybe do some other projects. Also, I think that there is another stereotype that people have is that you should have this, like, this is like a calling that you have, you know? This is a calling to be a programmer and you need to get it early in life. And then if you didn't get it, then that's it for you. What I've come to realize with an age is that life is long and you can have several callings along the way. So, for instance, If you're a child and you have this calling like to be a teacher or an actress, right? And then like, does it mean that you have to be a teacher when you're 30 or 40, if you don't no longer feel like it? Like, why do you set such constraints on your life and your journey, you know?
1: There is honestly a lot I could say about gatekeeping and things, but genuinely the tides have changed. Like I think now more than ever, and with everybody going online largely due through the lockdowns and things like that, there are so many accessible opportunities. um, And there are people like Nadia who are there to help. And likewise, whether that's in some kind of mentoring session, cause I know Nadia, you do a lot of stuff in person in London, um, or it could be through a book, for example, like your book, which I will link high in the show notes. Just to wrap things up, Nadia, how do you feel about some Quick fire questions.
0: Oh, sure. Let's go ahead.
1: What is your favorite programming language to this day? I think I have an idea. <laughs> Ruby. Have you been using JavaScript? Now you're a full stack developer. How does it compare?
0: Uh, yeah, I think it has its moments.
1: <laughs> oh, That is a short answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's uh, very British.
1: <laughs> what front-end frameworks do you like and use, or perhaps you don't use any in your work?
0: I use Ember.js right now, but I also used React previously. Oh,
1: sick. You work at Intercom right now, which is a company and product I know well. Uh, Really great product. Also the company was sort of based nearby where I used to work and they hire a lot of talented people. What is one of the sort of tasks you've accomplished at work recently that you can tell us about? Maybe something particularly challenging or just, you know, you're pleased about having done?
0: Yeah, so I focus mostly on improving bots, uh, chat bots and automation at Intercom. So one of the projects that I worked with was allowing users to add paths to a resolution bot, which is a machine learning powered bot that we offer. It allows users to build like complex, multi dimensional answers to users' questions, which I think is pretty neat.
1: It's very neat. What do you prefer, coffee or tea? Mm,
0: coffee in the morning and tea later.
1: Oh, I like that. Something to give you a boost in the morning, but just sustain you in the afternoon. What do you prefer, Nadia, dogs or cats?
0: Cats, definitely.
1: Tell me if I'm wrong, but you're you're cat sitting right now, aren't you?
0: Yes, I am. I'm a professional cat sitter. I
1: would say. <laughs> Full-time developer, part-time cat sitter. I like that. Yes. You, you mentioned before you've uh, lived in like 20 plus places in London. What's your favourite like part of London?
0: Oh, definitely Westminster. I'm very much interested in history. So old center of Westminster, old London, uh, old historical places, very dear to my heart.
1: I like that a lot. All right, Nadia, thank you so much for joining me on the Scrummer podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed it so much. Thanks. That was
1: Nadia, a product engineer at Intercom and author of Crossing the Rubicon. This book actually has nothing to do with Ruby, it's all about Nadia's in-depth advice on learning to code and breaking into tech, almost a continuation of this episode, so you can check it out in the show notes if you like. A big thank you, however, for listening. If you've made it this far, you might want to subscribe to this weekly pod for more helpful and uplifting episodes with recently hired juniors and industry experts like Nadia alike. You can also tweet at me, your host, I'm Alex Booker and share what lessons you learned from the episode so I can thank you personally for tuning in. I'm always crawling Twitter and so on looking for tweets about the podcast to like and get involved with the conversation. You can find my Twitter handle in the show notes. By the way, this episode was produced by Jan Osanovic. See you next week.